Let's talk to our living hope. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you continue to do for us, not only what you did so wondrously and amazingly on the cross through your sacrificial death, but Lord, your powerful and glorious resurrection, and then all the appearances that you gave to those who followed you, and then your ascension back into heaven, and then sending your Holy Spirit into the world so that those of us who have been born in these generations can experience you through the work of your Holy Spirit in our spirit, in our life, and to see evidence of you working in this world that you created and through those who have given their lives to you. So Lord, I pray that I would honor you today in this message and that we would all honor you in listening to your word and, and then looking how we can apply it to our lives in each and every situation and especially for your church. For it's in your name that I ask this, Jesus. Amen. Well, leadership and unity is absolutely of paramount importance to Christ. And I wanted to just begin the message today by reading uh, what the Apostle John recorded as the words of Jesus as he was praying for the church. So you'll find it in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. And you can follow along in your scriptures if you have it on the Bible app or uh, whatever uh, scripture you have with you, whether it's printed or electronic or whatever. I'm going to pick it up a little bit into the prayer of Jesus uh, to help us focus on uh, what I believe we need to focus on for today. So Jesus is praying here in this part of his prayer for his followers who he knew would become church leaders. So this is what he said in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart, to be different than the way everyone else is, so that you can be committed and dedicated to a task. And so this is what he was praying for, too, that we as his followers would be sanctified or set apart by the truth, which is his word. And so that is the first thing that Jesus prayed for and something that he gives us that can help to build unity is in his word. And that is different than what the world says. Then he goes on in his prayer and he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified, again, set apart unto honoring God and living life according to his word. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is one of my favorite passages of any of the prayers that Jesus prayed because this is a record of him praying for me and for you. And for all of us that have been born since the time that he walked this earth and those that listened to the apostles and the, and the disciples back then preach and teach and they accepted Christ, Jesus was not only praying for them, but he was praying for us today and all the future generations. So you were on his mind when he was praying back then. In fact, I truly believe that you and I were on his mind as he hung on the cross and certainly as he rose from the dead. And we're on his mind now because he is a living Lord. 
and he wants us to be mindful of him. So he was praying for us, and notice he's given us a mission. He gave them a mission, and he's given us a mission that we might share the love of Christ with others, tell other people about him, that they too might come to receive him as Savior, trust him, and follow him. So we can find unity in the church gathered around the mission that Christ has for all of us because it is a common mission. And then he goes on in his prayer in verse 21. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Obviously, Jesus is talking here about his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. If I were a child and I heard this and took everything literally, I would be, how can I be in you and you be in me and how can we be in God and how can God be in us? Yeah, just doesn't make sense because obviously physically, literally, that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about a spiritual dynamic because we are all spiritual beings. And when you open your spirit, your soul to the one who created you and I, his spirit then comes in and indwells your spirit and we have union, communion, which we'll be celebrating with some physical elements here in a little bit, thinking about what Christ has done for us. But we have spiritual union with our Creator God through what Christ has done with us, for us and through His Holy Spirit connecting with us. And that wraps around unity. That gives us unity. So we can be unified not only by His Word, we can be unified not only by His mission, but we certainly can be unified by His Spirit. Jesus goes on and He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. This is another wonderful part of his prayer because he was praying that ultimately, if we trust in Christ, we will be able to be with him. Even when we go through the doors of death like he did, hopefully not being crucified, but with whatever way we end up losing our physical life, whatever suffering we go through or whatever dynamic, Ultimately, we will be able to be with him because that's what he wants. That's why he gave his life and rose again. And this is wonderful that he's praying and, and, and sharing this with God so that we can hear it. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I might myself may be in them. This is why our first statement of what we believe God has called us to be in carrying out the Great Commission, the first love, the first word is love. At Porterfield, we're all about loving people. Loving and then loving them enough to not leave them where they are, but to lead them to Jesus. Loving and leading people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus is the life changer. So we can be unified by his word, by his mission, and by his Holy Spirit. The apostles also prayed for unity in the church and for leadership. And we see this by the apostle Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. It says this, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
be patient because where the Holy Spirit is, there is Jesus from the... <laughs> it's my other self back there talking to me. Wait a second. <laughs> and you're not crazy either. It was a technical thing. So our, our production team, they'll get that worked out. So the Apostle Paul, notice he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because where the Holy Spirit is, there is unity. There is, so that the body of Christ may be built up. There it is. There's the whole goal. After that, and he says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. See, unity is also... So when I say unity, I'm not talking about uniformity, that everybody just does everything the same way. But there needs to be unity and harmony, just like we heard today with the beautiful music and everything. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So again, the end goal of all of this with the unity is to be mature in Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there is a unity in our calling. There's a unity in our calling, first of all, to receive Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this to Timothy, reminding him of this. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 10, he says this, talking about Christ. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior to light through the gospel. So first of all, we need, if we're going to be unified in the spirit, we need to be unified in our calling and understand that the calling of God, the calling of Christ is not just for someone else, it is for you. And it is up to you and I to hear that call, so to speak, in our spirit, and then to respond by saying, Lord, I hear you call, and yes, I, I want you in my life. I want to receive you and trust you as my Savior. I don't understand it all, but I trust you. Forgive me, come into my life, help me live for you. That's a calling from God. And so we need to be obedient and faithful to that call. But then there's also a calling that even goes deeper than that of as we're following him as Savior, like I said, he gifts different one of us in different ways and gives us abilities and experiences and he's developing us so that we could serve in leadership in some way in the church. And we're all leaders in one way or another, but on the eight, the apostle Paul is talking to the leaders in the church and he's in a town called Miletus and he calls for all the elders and notice there's a plurality of to Miletus and here's some of the instructions that he gives him in Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. And so the apostle Paul is reminding them and us today as church leaders that we have a responsibility first and foremost as church. And so as church leaders, we have to be mindful of that, that we're not to use authority in an abusive way or uh, in a selfish way, but we're to be looking out for the good of the entire body of the church. And so we're set up as a church here at Porterfield. The New Testament clearly teaches 
that there is to be a plurality of leaders in the local churches and there's to be unity among them. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, look at what it says. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Notice a plurality. Elders have a collection of church leaders because that brings accountability it helps us with our responsibility, and it helps us to carry the, the load, so to speak, into guard against the abuse of authority. And as I said, it does provide accountability. The Apostle Paul writes this to Titus in Titus 1.5. He says, the reason I left you in quarters, plural, in every town as I directed you. One of the reasons that that's important is because the work of pastoring and shepherding and in church leadership, no matter what position you're in in church leadership, it's really too much for one person to handle. As we have grown as a church and as a church body, you all have been, and not only just you, but those who came before you have been wonderful about being aware of this fact, and we've been able to add staff to the church, paid staff, so we can develop, devote more of our time through the week to ministering and training and equipping and doing all of that. Also helping our volunteers, um, those who work and serve as church leaders who are not paid. Because again, church leadership is all about following what Christ would have us do with the gifts he's given us and in the positions he has placed us. So uh, again, the Apostle Paul addressed this specifically saying Christ himself gave apostles so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith. So it is our job as church leaders if we lead well, also giving them direction as we all should be seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit to do what is good for the church overall as a whole and not just our personal preference. That's why Romans 14, 19 says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. See, we need to not only be concerned about our own feelings and interests, but we need to be concerned about the feelings and the interests of the entire church body and work for the things that mutually would build up the church. And again, I'm thankful that Porterfield is structured that way. On the staff, we have not only myself, but we have uh, the other pastoral leadership, Pastor Eric, Pastor Adam, Tricia, who's over the children's ministry. We've got Rhonda, we've got, our staff's grown so big, I'm gonna leave somebody out, so I'm not gonna name them all, but I'm just saying, I'm grateful that we've got people who are able to oversee different areas of the church ministry. But then beyond that, we have our trustees, we have our deacons, we have our mission executive team, uh, we have life group leaders. There are many people in the church who serve as part of that church lead. I certainly don't take it lightly. I am not the only leader here. We work together as a, as a team. And I really appreciate the, the way that, that the Holy Spirit has guided us to, to follow Christ in that way. And so it's important for the example that we set for others. And so, um, I just want to share a couple of scriptures with you about example, and then I'm going to wrap this up and we'll get right into communion, because there is a presentation that you will hear today following communion regarding a, a lot of what I'm addressing here and just what God would have for us moving forward. But Peter himself writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, to the elders among you, again, notice plural, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. And I can tell you that every single person here at Porterfield that serves on staff, whether paid or in a leadership position of the ones that I know and interact with, they're not doing it because they have to or somebody guilted them into it. They're serving because they want to. 
They're serving because it's what God has led them to, and they just want to use their gifts to help the church grow. And so this is the right attitude that um, even Peter himself said that we should have. As God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You see, example is really, really important. And it's not only the example that we set as church leaders, but it's the example that you set as being a member of the church or part of the body of believers because people are watching your example just like they're watching our example. And so the Apostle Paul writes this in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then to Timothy, he said, watch your life and doctrine closely. He was mentoring Timothy in, in uh, ministry and preparing him for ministry. He said, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Meaning that people watch what you do how you act, how you respond, all those things. So it is continually a work in progress. And I know I am still learning at this stage of my life. I'm learning from past mistakes I've made. I'm learning how to handle things differently. And I know that uh, we're doing that as well uh, on the staff and our other church leaders. And again, as a church body, this is what we all need to be doing. So just quickly, uh, I could do a whole sermon on what I'm about to do, but I, but I just want to remind you, the Holy Spirit gives us examples from the New Testament writings of all kinds of behaviors that are not good examples. And again, the Apostle Paul addresses some of those in Galatians chapter 5. And I'm not going to read that passage to you, but some of them are real obvious. They're the, they're the easy ones to look at and go, well, of course that's not a good example. So, you know, you could talk about sexual immorality, lust, shamelessness. In other words, you, you don't care what you do. You're not ashamed and you don't care what people think. Uh, hatred, jealousy. But then we get into some things. Good, but well, are you envious or being easily angered or offended? And don't tell me you don't because some of you people, I read your Facebook posts, so let's just stop it right there, Okay. So being easily angered or offended, contentious behavior, divisiveness, controlling, given to intoxication, indulgent, seeking of pleasure. When we're here at church, we're not trying to provide an entertainment experience for you. We're not here to find something else to pleasure us for a while spiritually so we can feel good about God. We're here to worship, we're here to learn, we're here to submit ourselves to God, to really listen to his word and then apply it to our lives even if it's difficult and painful. That's what true worship is, is honoring God. So it's easy to look at those big things and go, well, of course I'm setting a good example, but are you really? And then also the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth because in Corinth uh, there was some uh, rivalry going on in the church about who, who was a better teacher or preacher or whatever. Since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans for when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos? Are you not mere humans? So we need to be on guard against this. And what I want to close with today as we go into communion, again, it, it just wraps it all up. The writer of Hebrews talks, of, again, you see the consistency of Christ's desire for good leadership in the church setting the right kind of example, but also everyone working together for unity. Because unity and harmony glorifies God when we're walking in his word, but it dishonors God when we're out of step with his word. And so this is why the writer of Hebrews writes this, and it's directed both to, to leaders and to the church body. 
Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. You see, whenever Christ asks us to submit to authority or when the Scripture asks us to submit to authority, it's not talking about abuse of authority or something that is out to harm you and not do you good, but it works really well when you know the people who are looking out for you love Jesus, love you, and they're trying to do the best for the Lord and for His church, then it's easier to submit to that because you can have that confidence to know that they're doing it because they understand they are accountable to Christ. And as I stand before you today, um, that is my stance, and it's the stance of this staff, and it should be the stance of every church leader, that as we serve in leadership, we need to do it with the fear of the Lord, knowing that one day we're going to have to give an account with the way that we led. But also, there's an accountability in the way that we follow. And this is why it says, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will, everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.